Okay, so turn with me then. Let's go over to uh, Mark 11, if you will. I want to kind of ramp. How many of you know that Wednesday is about to become the new Sunday? Did anybody see a calendar for December? Can I tell you, say this with me, say Wednesday, Wednesday. is the new Sunday. What that means is, is that you probably noticed on your vacation planning, that's okay, I will tell you now. You probably noticed on your very busy vacation planning schedule that both Christmas Day and New Year's Day fall on a Sunday. Sunday. Oh, you didn't notice, okay. Well, there's the news. So Wednesday over the holidays is that opportunity that we have to gather together as a family. And so there's, the, there's a number of them. Just watch the schedule if you could while I'm mentioning it to you so that you can do your vacation planning and your family planning and all that kind of stuff. Do your very best to be able to get back here on Wednesday nights, particularly the one between Christmas and New Year's, just so that we're able to celebrate together. And then we've got uh, lots of events that are coming up. Just make sure that your calendar is set up for that because there won't be services on either of those Sundays. Unless you want to come to my house, then you're welcome to do that. Uh, okay, so in, Matthew, in, Mark chapter, in Mark chapter 11, we don't, we, don't, uh, we don't bathe or brush our teeth, by the way, on Christmas morning. So Christmas morning is a little uh, wonderful at our house. Okay, so Mark 11 is, let's, what I want to talk about tonight is... Um, a little bit more information for you about this thing called faith and understanding how faith works so that we can get all the way to the end of this year. I know I'm going to be cramming in a whole bunch of things over the next number of services. That's why I mentioned to you, don't skip Wednesday nights, even though uh, you know, maybe that's not normal for you or for your friends. Let them know so they can be here for the last couple of services. I'll try to take them all. Uh, so that I can cover off the rest of my stuff so that when we get into 2017, we're going to go in there really possessing this understanding of what do I do now. Uh, but in Mark 11, we have one of the most uh, uh, condensed scriptures that teach us how this whole concept of faith works. Remember the last time that we were together, I talked about this thing called alignment? Can I tell you? This one principle, if you've been around understanding faith or understanding how to live by faith and you haven't been able to get it to work, or at least you haven't been able to get it to work well, uh, your problem isn't probably that you don't understand what the principles are to faith. Right. It's more than likely that the problem that you're experiencing is an alignment problem. In order for faith to work, you have to get that alignment of spirit, soul, and body, or spirit, soul, and natural realm lined up in one line. And this scripture now, if we watch Jesus's condensed version of what does it mean to walk by faith, or how do you use spiritual power to get something done? Because we were intended in our creation not to be people who, who toil. We're not supposed to be those that are working in order to make something happen. We're those people that because something is happening, we need to go to work. Right. That's harvest people. Harvest people don't leave the fruit on the trees at the end of the year. We go to work at the end of the year because we need to bring in the harvest in order to be a blessing to the people that are around us. I don't try to get kicked that tree all summer long in order to get it to bear fruit. That's not my job. 
we've taken that job as our job. And so we burn ourselves out as human beings trying to make the tree bear fruit. Instead of understanding, it is simply this alignment that we are looking for that is demonstrated here in Mark chapter 11 as Jesus now does something that is remarkable in the eyes of the disciples who are with him. If you look a little bit earlier on in Mark chapter 11, you'll see that Jesus has this encounter with a fig tree. Now, nothing against fig trees, but Jesus was walking along the path one day and he encountered this fig tree and he was hungry. So he wandered over to the fig tree and he wanted to get a few figs so that he could eat them. And uh, as it turned out, this was not the time of the year when he should have expected there to be figs. And so this wasn't the time of year where we're looking at Jesus get mad because he didn't have breakfast. He was doing something else because he knew, just like everybody else knew, that there weren't going to be figs on that tree. Jesus then turns to that tree, which did not give him any breakfast, and he said, cursed, will, uh, cursed are you, you'll never bring forth fruit anymore. And then he wandered off as his bewildered disciples followed him into town. And then they went home and they're wondering like, what's up with the fig tree thing, man? <laughs> Next morning, they come along that same path as they're walking into town and they notice off to the side of the road, this fig tree and it was dead. It was withered up. Now, that's actually a pretty significant thing, even in the hot and climate of, of Israel, in that that thing was withered up, like, badly. Normally, if you were to cut down, how many of you have ever cut down a tree, you could leave it sit in your backyard, and it takes quite a while for it to look like it's withered away. This was an intense thing that they had just witnessed. And I think they witnessed it on purpose so that Jesus could say what he's about to say. And he says in Mark chapter 11 there, verse 23, he says, he's given instructions to them. Now let's look at what his instructions are as he talks to now his wide-eyed disciples who just go like, oh my gosh, can you believe this? Listen to the instructions that he just said to them. So he said to them, at verse 22 there, y'all have it in your Bibles? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I can only do this because I am the son of God. You should never try to do this at home because only I can do it. Is that what he said? No, he didn't say that. He could have said that. Uh, religiously, we would say that's what he should have said. He just made it up, this kind of other stuff. But what he meant was Jesus could do miracles and nobody else can. But that's not what he said. What he said was, have faith in God which kind of made us start to think that it's possible that each one of us could do what he did. You hear him start giving us like instructions. How do you make fig trees wither? So he says, have faith in God. For verily, truly, I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he says shall come to pass, he will have whatever he says. Verse 24, therefore I say unto you, Jesus speaking, how do you know it's Jesus? It's in red. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. 
So let's take a look at the, the alignment that Jesus is talking about in this scripture. Because this scripture is all about alignment. He doesn't say, well, if you did this when you were 12 years old, and you do this when you're 30, and you do this when you're 50, everything's going to work out fine. <coughs> what he says was, you have to do these things, and you're going to see that they line up in a very, 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 very particular way. So first of all, and they go backwards. He's sort of saying, well, let's, go like, let's go like this. So it's Mark 11. He says, whatsoever you say, then two, if you, if you, uh, if, uh, if you doubt not, doubt not, but believe. So you have to say, which happens with your natural self. You have to doubt not, which happens in your soul. You have to believe, which happens in your spirit. So what Jesus is saying to us is you have to bring these things here into alignment. When they come into alignment, then whatever you say shall come to pass. If you don't have it in alignment, then by the mathematical equation that Jesus just gave us, if you don't have this piece or one of the pieces lined up, then you could say it if you like, but it's not going to happen because he's being very intentional and very condensed about what he's teaching us here with how faith works. So we're, what we're going to try and do then is we're going to try, can you see by the way he's saying it? When you say, make sure that before you say that you're doubting not. And then when you're doubting not, make sure that you believe. So he's kind of giving us the list going backwards, starting with what we do in the natural realm, making sure that we first have it aligned in our soul realm, making sure before that that we have it aligned in our spiritual realm. Okay? So let's take a look at what does it mean to believe. Now, this is kind of an interesting thing because we have this word in the, in the New Testament, the word faith, and then we have this word believe. Faith and believe are the same word, except one of them, faith, is a noun, and one of them, believe, is a verb. A lot of times we would say, brother, you need to have faith, thinking what you need to be doing is operating in something. What you really should be saying is you need to believe. Here's what the difference is. And it may, it may sound picayune, but I can promise you this is one of our great problems in modern New Testament Christianity. And that is that people, when they believe something is a fact, that is enough for them. But this word for believe here is the, the word for faith is the word pistis. And the word for believe is the word pisteu or pistuo or something like that. When a person is pistuoing, <laughs> they are taking a noun, which is pistis, and they are doing something with it. And so this is the difference. I can believe that there is a God but I'm not doing anything with the fact that I believe that. Yeah. I can believe that God looks after me and takes care of me and provides for me and protects me as a concept, but I don't expect it's actually going to happen 
in my life. If we look at it in some terms that we understand, if we, uh, let me have a piece of uh, rubber outer stuff there. There's, how many of you, oops, I'll even need it faster than I thought. There is this person called an atheist. How many of you have heard that term before? How many of you have heard the term agnostic? And how many of you have heard the word Christian? Atheist is somebody who is apistis, P-I-S-T-I-S. It means they don't believe. Or they have what's called unbelief, which doesn't mean they don't believe anything. It means they don't believe what God says. An agnostic is somebody who just has the pistis. I just know that there is a God. I know there is a truth. But they don't really think that God is interacting with their life at all. He's just some guy, maybe created something around here and then took off to the Bahamas and he ain't coming back. Don't care about me. Don't care. I don't care about him. There's really no involvement in, of him in my life. He just does exist. It's kind of like, uh, you know, like the, whatever, some guy that lives in China somewhere, he exists, and you may know that he exists, but it doesn't really affect your life at all. Then there is a Christian who is really focused on this word, pistio, something like that. That person not only do they believe or they know that there is a God, they rely or depend upon that God. Their life hangs in the balance of whether or not what they actually believe works, happens. It's kind of like, you know, those, those, those leadership things where you stand on a table and you go backwards and then you fall backwards and your teammates are supposed to catch you. The theory is they catch you. Whether they do or not is something different. When I am up there, if I was to do that here and have a bunch of the guys come up, not now, if I did that, if I really, even though they're supposed to catch me, whether I believe they'll catch me or not will be evidenced by whether I tip backwards. If I don't believe it, then I won't tip backwards. If I do believe it, then I'll play along with the game and I'll tip backwards. That's the difference. It's not whether we understand this is how the game is played. That's a different concept. This concept here, and for example, the the scripture that says, uh, all things are possible to him who believes, is talking about this active level of dependence and reliance on the truth that you know to be truth. Because a lot of people, mostly, and I would say a lot of North American Christianity, is actually very much agnostic. I know there is a God, but he didn't really care about me. And consequently, I don't really care about him. I mean, I care about him because I don't wanna, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm culturally a Christian. So I go to church and I do the things that I'm supposed to do, but there's nothing in my life that would, re- that would make it seem like I really rely on God. I don't go to church because I have to. I don't worship because I'm supposed to, or I look good doing it, although we look good doing it. I do it because I depend on it. 
I depend on having a clean life. I depend on the strength to sow the right seeds. I depend on my life working in such a way that the scriptures are manifesting fruit into my life. If they don't do that, then I'm in serious trouble. That's what a Christian, there is no definition of a Christian who isn't like that. The very definition of a Christian is somebody who has faith in God, who believes in God and then acts like God is going to do in your life what he said he was going to do. Not only is it going to happen, so I'll just wait here and see if it's going to happen. I'm the guy who steps forward. And we're going to discover that in a moment. Because if you take a look at point number two, doubt not. Now, doubt not, if you go to to Romans chapter 5, doubt not or to doubt is something that happens inside of our soul. It is the word uh, diacrino. And the word diacrino, dia, means to go through or across. And crino means to separate into two opinions. And so what diacrino is talking about is that I have one opinion over here, this is what God says, but I have another opinion over there, this is what I say. Diacrino means I go over here to what God says, and then somewhere in the middle, I go across to the other opinion. I separate them into two pieces and step across to the other side. That's what it means to doubt. That happens inside of your mind, and it happens all the time, because your eyes are co- and ears and senses are always picking up the stuff that been, you've been picking up all your life. So the question is, where does that opinion, where does that understanding that I have, see the God's understanding is over here, but I have another bunch of understanding that's over there. So when I do something, if I step off a cliff, for example, and I have expectation that God is going to catch me. There's also the other expectation that he's not going to catch me and that I'm going to die splatting on the ground. <laughs> the question being, where did that other opinion come from? Because the objective here is going to be to bolster or strengthen the God opinion at the same time I weaken the other opinion. I'm going to be less likely to jump across to the other opinion as giving it some kind of credential or credibility as opposed to God's opinion if I really think it's going to happen. Or there's a really good possibility that what God says is not going to happen, but what I say is going to happen. Where'd that come from? Well, in Romans chapter 5 here, verse 3 it tells us where this expected outcome, this other opinion of what could possibly happen, where does it come from? And it says it like this. It says, we're supposed to glory in our tribulation. How many of you enjoy that? Let me tell you something. If you can understand this scripture, you can glory in your tribulations. That word, anyways, if you, let me, tribulation produces perseverance, 
which produces experience, which produces your expected outcome, or how we say it in biblical language, hope. So how did you get it? You got it because there's pressure. There's something going on in your life. That word tribulation is the word for pressure or distress to, some, to any degree. Whenever I experience pressure, whether it's opposition or affliction or persecution or some kind of suffering, just something in my life is not the way I would like it to be. I get pressure because of that as a human being. When I address that pressure situation in my life and I persevere through the problem somehow, win or lose based on the pressure, I persevered. If I didn't persevere, I didn't learn anything. I just laid down and had mommy do it. Didn't learn a darn thing. But if I persevered through it, I learned something about what happens when you persevere through pressure. I won, I lost, I looked awesome, I looked like a jerk, whatever. Whatever happened as I went through that situation to the other side produces inside of me what they're calling here experience. It's just that I got some, I got some mileage. I've, I've, I've been some places. I've done some stuff. When I go through that, then I'm using that situation to produce my present expected outcome that is focused on whatever this pressure is that I'm presently facing. So when I am going through this faith process, say whatever, doubt not, whatever, believe whatever, whatever situation I'm using this say, doubt not, believe to address, I'm going to have some kind of a model on the inside of me based on a historical experience that is telling me this is how this one's going to go. Typically, because we're humans, we're thinking it's going to go bad. We have this really nasty habit as human beings. I could face a certain problem 10 times. Nine times I could be successful. One time I do a face plant. The 11th time I expect I'm gonna do a face plant. Every one of us do that. We don't say, well, geez, nine out of 10 is not bad. I'm gonna win this one. You don't think that. You have to make yourself think that. Once you have had a failure, you always have this doubt that you're going to fail again. And so as we are going through these experiences, we are hardwired to have an expected outcome that is at least equal to the worst possible thing that's ever happened to us in our life. In this situation. When, go, go to Romans chapter 4. In Romans chapter 4, verse 18, the whole of Scripture now kind of finds a, a, a central pinpoint right here. When it says that Abraham, when he was here, he took hold of an expected outcome that was misery and failure, and he replaced it with another expected outcome, which was success and whatever the other half of misery is, blessing. And when he had that trial, like every one of us have a thousand times a day, 
when he had that outcome, that picture of the outcome in his mind, he had this super black and white, fuzzy kind of picture on the inside of him. That was what God said. And he's got this 3D AVX Dolby Digital <laughs> surround sound version of failure and disappointment also going on inside of his mind. Just like you do. Every day you go through this. Every time there's pressure, any kind of pressure, like not heaven on earth, you go through this exact model. And you go through it instantly. The objective of walking by faith, walking with God, is that right here at this moment when I am deciding in whom am I going to place my expected outcome? Am I going to believe that my, just because I've had all these failures and disappointments in my life, am I going to expect that another failure and disappointment is going to happen? Or am I going to expect that what God said is going to happen? Every one of us have that decision all the time. The problem is we typically, because of this pressure on the inside of our soul, I have all kinds of evidence that would suggest to me and to you that the expected outcome illogically is going to be more disappointment and misery. Because I, I'm not new at the game. Understand that when I'm eight years old, I started to kind of have, you know, nine times blessing, one time failure. But then that one failure started to produce a belief system in me. When I tackled it the next time, it wasn't, it wasn't as even. I didn't say I'm 99% chance I'm going to succeed like I did when I was a child. Now I go, it's, okay, it's maybe 70-30. <clears throat> and so then I go three more times. Out of those three times, I only fail once. But then it's not 70-30 anymore. Now it's 50-50. Then it's 40-60. Then it's 99.7 to 0.3. By the time I turn 21, I'm 50-something. I can't remember now. I feel 30, so I, you know, it's hard to keep track. When, as I'm going down this course of life, my ability to go easily between the two opinions starts to decrease. Bad news. When we are in our culture... And you see, 200 years ago, I, I only had to live my life. Because I didn't have really a lot of exposure to any other people. A lot of people in the olden days, they would have 10 people that they would see in their entire lifetime. It would be their family. Maybe once every six months, they'd go into town. Woo. But they wouldn't have a lot of exposure to people. So if there was the five of us, is there five here? One, two, three, five. There's five of us right here. We would only have the experiences that we would have together. Now, when something really bad happens, pew, six billion people experience it at the same time. If they could shoot JFK, are you safe? Happened everywhere across the planet. If they can fly a plane into a building in New York, it can happen anywhere. It now... We are in this place in our culture where if we think we can just, well, I'll just wander around and this should be pretty easy. You know, Pastor Ian makes it sound so fun. You're going to doubt. 
then you believe the truth. You've been here long enough, you know the truth. God's abundant. God wants you well. God wants you blessed. God wants your life to be awesome. Is that new for anybody here? No. And some of us, not very many, but some of us are saying the right words consistently. The problem is right here. Because our souls have not got used to just ignore what you think is about to happen. This is what set me free. I remember 15 years ago, I went through a real problem because I really thought I was right. Yeah, it was just a bad habit. I know you're not like that. But if you think you're right, I totally, totally, totally knew I was right. Stubbornly, aggressively, ridiculously, arrogantly, I, I thought I was right. If I didn't think I was right, I'd study it for a while, and then, God help you, now I know I'm right. <laughs> the problem was, I had so much confidence in the, the thing that I had figured out. I couldn't hardly get over here at all. I couldn't get my expectation in the word of God. And I spent a lot of time in the word of God. I couldn't get my expectation to compete even in a, like an easy way, like not at all, with what I had studied carefully, analyzed ridiculously. I knew I was in trouble. And I was totally confident that there was nothing anybody could do. Because if I can't fix it, nobody can fix it. What's the trap? That's the trap we are all in, folks. Our generation, our world is so ridiculously arrogant about what they believe to be true. It's everywhere. And the problem is, if it is everywhere, and we, don't even, we can't even get our brains to consider the fact that there is any possibility that what I think is going to happen is going to happen, there's no possibility that any other outcome except misery and failure is going to result. I cannot, not only can I not get, I, first of all, I can't get over here into an expectation, a real expectation that God is gonna help me or be a part of my world in any way. And then if I do, God willing, get over here, I can't stay there. At least I can get there as long as it's not like a real life, life or death, right now, gun to the head kind of a problem. Because I, I used to have a great time. I could believe God. You know if I had stuff to pay at the end of the month? No, from, from the first day of the month to like the 24th, man, I was faith man. <laughs> the problem isn't the first 24 days. The problem is when they start lifting up the gun and they cock the trigger and they point it at you. In the end of the day, it's really hard to stay on this side. If it's life-threatening, or you perceive, it never, it never is life-threatening. If you perceive it to be life-threatening, it's really hard to stay on this side. If you're not really doing it on purpose, if you haven't really done the homework, if you haven't trained your brain that no matter what you see, no matter what information coming at you, if it don't line up with God, it's an illusion, at least in the real sense of that word. 
What we have to do, if we want to do this faith thing, we have to study how not to doubt. And so if you go in there in Romans chapter 4, we see the formula fairly plainly laid out in Scripture for us. How do you not doubt? I mean, anybody that's got half a brain, and most of you have that much, you have anybody facing that problem is going to go and face this issue of deciding which side do I go on. From the beginning of humanity, this is in the DNA. It's in the very design of us as humans. Abraham, this father of faith, had this one issue. It says he hoped against... He he took what he really expected was going to happen, his expected outcome, because he'd been trying to have a baby for a long, 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 long time. Couldn't do it when he was young. Now he's 100 or so. And then he has to say, I'm going to build an expected outcome that completely denies the power of my yesterdays to jump into my tomorrows. Can I ask you a question? If I had a quarter up here and I flipped that quarter and it turned out to be heads. I flipped it again, heads, again, heads, again, heads, again, heads, again, heads, again, heads. If I flipped it again, what will it be? Will it be heads? Well, if I, 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 don't, I don't have a two-headed coin. We think it's going to be heads, but the chances of it being tails is exactly the same as the chances the first one was tails. But you see, when we go along for a while, we start thinking this is how it has to happen. It is just the way life sucks. That's what we think. Everybody says it. So it's just not true. Abraham, in that same situation, He's walking along, and he's got the same fight that you have every day. God comes 25 years ago. Genesis chapter 12. He don't have a baby till Genesis chapter 21. 25 years later. He's making a way through this doubt issue. The believing was easy. God shows up, you know, fire pots and smoke and mirrors, you know, that's pretty awesome. And he says, you're going to have a baby. Tough to not to accept that one, right? Easy to believe. Just go, yeah, God said it enough. It's easy to say, you know, I'm a daddy, I'm a daddy, I'm a daddy. My name's Abraham, Abraham, Abraham. Easy to say. It's really not a big deal. The big deal Abraham didn't know, listen, Abraham kind of had an idea, you know, after going through grade five, he kind of knew where babies came from, but they don't know like babies came from like, like now, like we know everything there is to know. I saw, where's, where's Mary Jo, is she here? I got a picture, uh, she's online, hi Mary Jo. I saw your, your uh, the picture, uh, ultrasound picture of her little baby girl. Uh, she's not outside yet. I mean, we know everything about it. Abraham didn't. He only had a very light level of understanding like we have today. He had to make it all the way across to the other side. And this is how he did it. Number one, he learned how to consider not natural limitations. I'm going to write over the kingdom of God here. That will not confuse any of you, will it? One, he considered not 
the natural limitation, him being 100, his wife being 100 years old, he, 99, he didn't consider that. That's not even a problem. Faith overcomes the world. It doesn't matter what the reason is that you think your problem is impossible. Faith overcomes impossible. We have to get used to considering not. I used to do this with mathematics. That's why I think I struggled so much in my finances. You know, I didn't have a problem with my finances until I became a Christian. I don't want to tell people that, but that's what happened. Because I started to consider things like there's a devil. He sees me, I don't see him. That's a tough chess game, okay? And I started to consider those things and what it meant and what it meant and what it meant and what it meant over and over and over and over again. And then I had to get out of considering. I had to get out of worrying about it. I had to get out of the mathematics or the limitation of the mathematics of financial things. Maybe you have to get over the limitations of your physical body. Maybe relationship experiences or financial things or success issues. Oh, it doesn't matter. It's always the same thing. You just have to get out of considering your, the, 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 the limits. Consider, I can't do it. Don't, don't, it should never be in your vocabulary anymore. Those should be like words we don't say anymore. The thoughts we don't think. If anybody comes to you and says you can't, that person is lying. You have to just have that. If they say you're going to fail, then you say, well, that's not possible. You just don't know the things that I know. So I understand that you're a knucklehead. That's okay. I just don't believe that. Anytime somebody comes, it's like fear. Anytime you feel fear, fear is an illusion. Based on the truth, it's an illusion. What's there to be afraid of? God's with me, I'm with him. <laughs> What's there to be afraid of? You just have to learn the mental gymnastics of being a doubtless person in that area of your life. When you face a little problem, fight it. Don't wait till it's a big problem. You know, uh, don't worry when they put a gun to my head, I won't renounce Jesus. Would you renounce Jesus at the Tim Hortons? See, if you'll renounce Jesus at the Tim Hortons because God says go share something with that guy or pay for his coffee and you don't, you're not going to stand when they put a gun to your head and tell you to renounce Jesus. It's not going to happen. We'd like to think that it would. But we'd have to face the little problems and deal with the little problems. That's why God wants us to face little problems, little tribulations, little pressure at one time, persevere through that pressure with God, as we persevere with God, we start to get some experience with God's ways. When we start to get some experience in little things, now when we have this equation of trying to balance it off, I actually got some meat on this side. I got a testimony. I got a lion. I got a bear. I got something over here. I, you, you may, I don't have one. Tell me what you have. Hang out with people who got some testimonies. Yeah. Don't sit at home in your depression and think it's impossible so you're going to shoot yourself. Don't do that. Call somebody and say, you got something? I got nothing. Okay, bye. You got, call somebody else. You got something? Because if you start to encourage the opinion that is on this side, even if you don't succeed the first, don't worry. Keep going. Sooner or later, can I tell you something? Sooner or later, 
You're going to have your own testimony. I'll tell you another time. Oh, woo. I'll tell you another time. Have I told you my large double-double story? Yes. Have, you, have you all heard it? Is anybody in here hasn't heard it? I'd like to tell it again. Is there anybody in here that hasn't heard it? I'm standing at the Tim Hortons. I'm working with a fellow at the time. First, we're very first safe. And I'm standing in the line, and my normal procedure was the fellow that I'm there with has a lot more money than I have since I didn't have any at the time. And so I always let him go first. And you know how, you know, he's going to say, what would you like, right? That's how it goes. And then I would assume that he was going to pay it, which I'd let him do since I didn't have any money anyways. So that's how this whole charade was going to go. And I'm standing back, you know, doing my own thing, like acting like I'm, you know, it's oh, it's so great weather out here today. And the Lord says to me, buy him his coffee. Now, what I used to do in those times is I would take, this is a long time ago, $2.50 with me to work every day. That would be two cups of large coffee from Tim Hortons. That's, I'll tell you how long ago it was. And so I'm, I'm wrestling with the Lord inside of my head because I'm saying, Lord, I need the coffee now in case he doesn't buy it for me, right? He doesn't have to buy it for me. I'm really working, so it's going to buy it for me, but he may not. Which means then, manipulator, yeah. What, when you do that when you're afraid, can I tell you something? If you're afraid, you manipulate. That's how it goes. So the, 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 I'm standing there at the line. I'm arguing with God, you know, trying to be cool. Arguing with God about the fact that if I buy this other person the cup of coffee, I'm not going to have any money left. And when it's going to come to noon, this other cup of coffee is my lunch. And so I'm not going to have money to, buy, to drink my lunch. He, God didn't seem to care. Because he just kept saying to me, step to the front of the line. That was, that was a lot of pressure back then. But we were all going to laugh because it's not really a lot of pressure. It's just $1.50, $1.25. That day, I stepped up to the plate. Can I, can I get an amen? Can anybody give me some whoops, whoops? And so I bought this other fella, this large double-double. That day... We were working on a, on a landscape project with this friend of mine, and the architect who looks after that job never came out to the job. Matter of fact, he's been to church here a number of times. I should introduce him to you one time when he's here. And so this architect, who then we became very close friends after this, he never came out to the job site. Totally trusted us to do the right job or whatever. But this day, he decides to come out to the job site to have a look around. And he arrives at about 10.30 or so, and guess what he says to me when he's standing there in his little silver pickup truck? He says, let's go for coffee. Now, you know let's go for coffee means he's going to pay. Did you all get that? You don't understand how that works, right? So you get in the car and you go with him and he buys me a cup of coffee. Meanwhile, back on the job site, we had a bulldozer on the job site that was doing the plowing and all that kind of stuff that we were doing as we were building this park. Well, the way they do bulldozers is they drop, they bring them on a big, huge truck, and then the, the driver of the bulldozer gets off with the bulldozer, and the driver of the truck leaves with the truck and goes does something else. And so this bulldozer driver didn't have any vehicle there to go for lunch. So I come back from my meeting with my architect, and the bulldozer guy waves me over, and he says, listen, if you'll drive, I'll pay. And that guy took me to lunch that day. That's a little story, but I can tell you today, I can't, I cannot tell you, it's, it's innumerable now, how many times I've stood with one foot on one side of an opinion and one foot on the other side of an opinion and what moved me this way 
was my large double-double. The devil ought not have, he ought not have lost that fight that day. That's what you need. You got to step out on the little stuff and then pay attention to the things that happen when you step out. That guy didn't take me to the keg. He took me to Wendy's. I could have taken that blessing and complained it wasn't the keg. And I would have lost what happened, wouldn't I? That's why Pastor Tina was on you. Stop complaining. There's a blessing right in the middle of the thing you are complaining about. But you just have to look for it. And if you see it, you put, you got one on the good side. And let me tell you something. If you have one, it's not long until you have two. And it's not long until you've changed the world. Simply because you can actually doubt not. You can become so confident in the workings of faith and the things that happen supernaturally in your life that you don't even consider. You've just gone, remember what your hope is doing all this time? You've took your yesterdays and you use that to predict your tomorrows. Do you remember that? It also works when you're following God. That when stuff starts to work in God, even if it's only a little thing, penny in a parking lot, if you focus on the penny in the parking lot, that starts to become your expected outcome. It's not so much a fight anymore when you're starting to actually expect that the Word of God is actually going to work in your life. It becomes easier and easier. Or, better still, you can face bigger and bigger issues and overcome them. Not that you're looking for trouble. You're not looking for trouble. Going after your destiny is lifting the trouble up. There's monsters to fight between you and your destiny. The key to getting to your destiny is understanding this very simple, how do I doubt not? Put your hand over your heart and say, Jesus, I'm your man. You man. I'm gonna learn through the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Ghost how to doubt not, how to face the circumstances of my life and stay on the God opinion, to stay on the God expectation. I'm going to build my muscles to expect that what God said is coming to pass. More and more, my testimonies of victory will create an expectation of continual abundance, continual success, continually overcoming no matter what I face. In Jesus' name.